guess we need to show more Disney clips in here. Staff need to take notice. Yeah, Rafiki. Uh, I'll be honest, I just wanted to walk up to the stage to Rafiki yelling. Woo! Uh, please do not run with the analogy too far or uh, hold me to this, but I actually think that clip is a pretty good intro uh, to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it's, it's the way Mark introduces uh, his Gospel. Onto the scene steps Jesus. Uh, but he steps onto the scene at the end of a, of a pretty long and, and sad story, uh, one in which there's betrayal and hurt and pain, uh, but then, but then on comes Jesus. Uh, John the Baptist says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Uh, he's saying, The king is coming. The king is on his way. Uh, and then we learn that the king is Jesus. If, if this is your first time here this quarter, or this is your first time here in general, uh, all of winter quarter, what we're going to be talking about is the Gospel of Mark. We're going through a series called Via Della Rosa, The Way of Suffering. And so we're going to be talking about uh, the kingdom of God in the Gospel of Mark and what the kingdom of God looks like in our lives. And so uh, last week, Bacho uh, began the series with the very, the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and, and tonight we're going to talk about the rest of chapter 1. And so would you, would you pray with me first, and then we'll go ahead and look at, at the text. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for breaking into the world, uh, for writing yourself into your own story. Thank you for uh, being the king, uh, for being the one we can pray to. Thank you that we, we can pray to you and that we can come before you. Uh, would you be here tonight? Would you do a special work in, uh, in our hearts and uh, really meet with us? In a, uh, in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to go ahead and read the whole next section. This is a pretty big section, so sort of uh, buckle up. There's 25 verses, and we're going to uh, tear through them and then uh, go ahead and refer back to them uh, as we go along. But we're in Mark chapter 1 still. Uh, we're going to read 14 through 39. And so... Uh, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further... He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and cried out, 
crying out in a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So this uh, scene opens again. The, the build-up is Jesus was just baptized by John the Baptist. After John the Baptist began to proclaim, uh, Get ready, someone is coming. The king is on his way. And then Jesus steps onto the scene, and the first thing he does is, uh, Mark says, he goes through all of Galilee and he preaches, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the first uh, way Mark introduces Jesus. And then after this, Jesus walks to the Sea of Galilee, and he finds four dudes. He finds uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and he says, hey, follow me. And remarkably, they do. They just get up and follow him. Uh, I'll be honest, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It, seems, it just seems a little off. Sometimes when I read things in the Bible, I, uh, I don't know if you do this, but I, I like to, hey, I wonder if I could do that. Like, I wonder if I could try uh, something like that. Maybe I could walk on water. You read about Jesus doing it, let's try. And so you, you know, it's not going to work. But this is, one of, this is one of those that I've... Uh, I've, I've been really close to trying sometimes. You just walk through the union, and I kind of just want to stare somebody down. and You! Follow me! And then they just line up, and I'm like the mother duck. You know, it's like... But it, I'm just way too scared to do that. It would be like a crazy man, because it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, it's like Jesus must have been a Jedi, or he must have had like some super, uh, maybe he was like flashing Benjamins, like, follow me guys, hey. <laughs> it just, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and especially I think it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when we consider how heavy this claim must, must have been. Uh, small businesses like this were not... These Zebedee brothers were not fishermen on a whim. This was probably a family business that was passed down generation to generation, maybe even for centuries. And so Jesus is saying, when he, when he walks to the Sea of Galilee and he says, follow me, this is a lot heavier than, hey, like, stop fishing and let's, let's go play baseball or whatever they played in... Uh, Jerusalem at the time. It's, it's, it's not like a casual thing. This is a really heavy thing Jesus is asking them to consider. And so it just makes me skeptical. 
Uh, and it, it makes me really skeptical that they would actually do it. What's not surprising, though, is, is that this is normally, it seems to be the normal way God works in the Old Testament. And so, uh, if, even if we consider a lot of the things God asked his people to do in the Old Testament, they were almost as outrageous as this, or even more. I mean, consider Noah. For example, God goes to Noah and he says, Hey, man, like, I'm going to send a lot of rain. And so why don't you just build a huge boat? Build a really big boat and get two of every animal. And don't ask how they're going to come. They're just going to come. It's just going to happen. And then it's going to rain for a really long time. And everyone's going to die. And ready, go. And Noah does it. He just, you know, he's like, okay, sure. I'm going to go ahead and build a boat. And he builds a boat. And God does the same thing with Abraham, where he says, Hey, Abraham, go ahead and leave your family, leave your land, leave everything you know, and go to the land I'm going to show you, the land I'm going to give you. And remarkably, Abraham does it. Where God says to Moses, uh, Just put down your staff, and I'm going to go ahead and part the sea in half. And you guys are going to cross over, and don't worry, Pharaoh's not going to catch you, and it's going to be awesome. And Moses does it. He puts down his staff, and uh, the Israelites cross the Red Sea. And so this scene uh, seems to fall into place, I think, a lot when we consider that this is always the way God has worked. He seems to have always demanded just outrageous things from his people. But I think... What we probably should be asking and what they, Andrew and Simon and James and John, for sure were asking was, what in the world are we following you to? Just as weird as I would be in the union asking someone to follow me, I think they had to be thinking, why? Like, what would I be... Okay, I get that this guy is asking me to follow him. Why? What am I following you to? And I think that's sort of a question we need to ask ourselves tonight. What, what, why follow Jesus? What are we following in him, him to? The reality is, I think, we, uh, we follow people in just about every sphere of our life. Or at least we follow ourselves. Maybe we pledge our allegiance to uh, the, the government uh, that we're under. And we say the government is the avenue through which uh, things are going to be made right. Change. I'm going to bring change. We're going to hear a lot of this, I'm sure, uh, over the next 10 months, where these presidential candidates are going to be promising big ideals. And so they're asking us when we vote to say, okay, you are the one that I'm going to follow. I'm choosing to follow you. Maybe you follow your parents and your parents' dreams for you. Or maybe you just follow yourself and absolutely everything you want to do. And so there's no, um, there's no authority at all over your life. And so I think we need, we need to ask ourselves at the end of the day, who, who is the best person to follow? Is Jesus uh, reliable? Is he the best way to be truly human? Is he the one that we ultimately want to follow? Or is it ourselves? I, th I think maybe an illustration would help here. I, I, so I have a, a picture of a guy that 
It's familiar. Uh, the quote just says, This man is going to set all Europe ablaze with his incendiary dreams of world domination. The pictures of Adolf Hitler. Uh, Adolf Hitler obviously had dreams of world domination. This is from a book by a philosopher by the name of Carl Jung. The twist here is that this was exactly the quote that Hitler said about Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was uh, one of the leaders of the Allied powers. He was uh, England's prime minister. And so on one hand, you have Hitler saying about Churchill, Hitler saying, this guy is evil. He is bad. We're the good guys. You know, like we are doing what's right. It is Aryan domination that we want. This is what's right. And you have Churchill on this hand saying about Hitler, this guy's evil. This guy's trying to rule the world. This guy's trying to um, set Europe ablaze. And, and they're just firing back and forth at each other. I think this is the way a lot of times we treat even Jesus, but really any world claim. Any claim like this is we say, we're the good guys. Most religions work like this. You have Islam or, or any of the other big six religions saying, we are the true religion. These are the bad guys. And at the end of the day, you have Christianity ultimately saying the same thing. We are the good guys and they are the bad guys. So I want to know, how in the heck do we decide how do we decide if we're supposed to follow Jesus? How do we decide what's the way to be truly human? How can we decide what is the best religion and what is the best way and what is the way to truly be who we're supposed to be? How do we decide? Because there's, there's truth claims being thrown out everywhere by everybody. By Hitler to Churchill, by Churchill to Hitler, by Christianity to Islam, by every other religion all over the place. We can't avoid it. Even if we, even if we just say we're an atheist, at the end of the day we're saying we're right. There is no God. Everyone else is wrong. So everyone is making these claims that they're right. Everyone is saying the same thing Jesus is saying here. Everyone is saying, follow me. It's just a matter of what we're following them to. And so I think this is what uh, Mark wants us to get, is, is what it really means to follow Jesus. And that's what we're going to be ta talking about this quarter of real life. Uh, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a great summation of the whole gospel here in the first chapter, really. And so, um, first, what Mark says is when Jesus is saying, follow me, what's different about Jesus is he has authority both in speech and over demons. When Jesus is the king, he has authority over the demonic powers. And then he says, when Jesus is the king... Sicknesses are healed, and people are beginning to be made whole. Tears are being wiped away. The world is beginning to be set right, exactly how it's supposed to be, is what Mark is saying uh, through the next couple uh, healing stories and things like that. He's saying, the one that Israel has been waiting for all along, the one that is going to set the world right, is coming onto the scene. But then there's another hint, and, and I think this little hint is what differentiates 
Christianity or the claims of Jesus from every other uh, world religion. Mark does it in his own little weird way, uh, but he does it by using one particular word. He uses the word immediately, and he uses it over and over and over and over. You're going to see it in a second. If you didn't catch it, uh, it's everywhere, really. And so I'm just going to skim these real quick, but when... uh, Yeah, when Jesus comes out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And then, uh, you know, after that, the Spirit immediately drives him into the wilderness. Um, Jesus goes and says, follow me. And then immediately they leave their nets and follow him. And then immediately he calls uh, the other two sons of Zebedee. And then after they go into Capernaum, immediately on the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue uh, and teaches and then immediately in the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit, it's like, immediate Mark, really? Like, you can't come up with another word? You need vocabulary lessons or something, dude. This isn't working. It, but it's almost like he's ADHD. Like, he, he, he's just going so fast. You almost want to just calm down, brother. Just tell me the story. He's like, okay, I've TiVo'd the story of Jesus, and I'm just like zipping through on the fast-forward button the whole time, and I can't stop pushing the button. Immediately he goes to synagogue, and then immediately there's a healing, and, 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 it, and he like keeps going. At once his fame spread everywhere. At once is immediately the same word. And then immediately Jesus leaves the synagogue, and then immediately they told uh, him about her. You know, it's like he just keeps hammering us with this word. I think it's, it's almost like Mark is in a hurry. He's trying to get through this part of the story to get to the end. Because when Mark thinks about Jesus, he has, I think he has one picture in mind. And he's, he's trying to get, get through this initial part as quick as he can so that he can get to the climax of the story of Jesus. The climax of the story of Jesus most of us in this room know, is the cross. You're going to be, uh, even the rest of this uh, series, the rest of winter quarter, you're going to run into immediately over and over and over because Mark continues to use it all the time. And for Mark, what it means is to go immediately to the cross. We're going immediately to the cross. Do you want to know what makes Jesus different is that he does not rule through power, through a heavy fist. Jesus does not rule uh, by manipulation or by controlling people. He does not rule by demanding things from you. Jesus rules this way. He rules because he lays himself down that you would have life. And this is different than every other claim from any ruler, from anyone to follow them. You will not have a presidential candidate say honestly that they will lay down their life that you would experience joy and forgiveness and mercy. Or they might say it, but they won't follow through with it. What makes Christianity different is that The king is a servant. The king does not rule with a heavy fist. The king serves. The king lays down his life. 
And so I think for us to hear the challenge fresh today, for us to hear follow me from Jesus, means we need to get that Jesus is saying, follow me here. Follow me to the cross. Because this is the only way the world can experience healing and joy and mercy. This is a different sort of kingdom. When you're signing up to follow Jesus, you're signing up to lay your life down for others. This is a a group of people that serves each other. And that's what we're trying to be here at Real Life. We're not trying to say we're right and everyone else is wrong, at the end of the day, we're trying to be the sort of people that lay our life down, that this campus would, would experience joy and forgiveness. We're trying to be the sort of staff team that would walk in front of traffic for you guys. That, that's the sort of people that we want to be here at Real Life, because I think that's the sort of people that follow Jesus. Luke Timothy Johnson says this about Mark and what Mark's trying to say. Mark's narrative has a tight focus on the identity of of Jesus and the character of discipleship. Although Jesus is clearly filled with power and wisdom, and although these are revealed in his powerful works and words, Mark deliberately shapes the image of Jesus according to a pattern of suffering in the service to others and shows that discipleship means following in the same pattern. To follow Jesus means to lay our lives down that others would have life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what's different. I think that's what it means to be truly human. And so uh, what does it look like for us? Well, for starters, I think maybe it means just giving up some of our time to serve the hurting people around us. To lay down the call of duty controller or Us Weekly, or whatever, and to, to head over to the dorms to try to have conversations with people that need us, with people that are starving for, to grab hold of anything and, and to love on them. Maybe it means giving up your, your, your own comforts and your own entertainment during spring break or during your summer and going on a spring break trip or going on a summer project. Maybe that's the least of what it means to head down to Panama City Beach and to say to hammered people on the beach, look, man, like you're trying to find life in this. Real life, real forgiveness, real mercy, and real love is only found in a kingdom that looks like this. Otherwise, everything's about power and manipulation and fun for you. I think it means giving up our egos and our status and uh, having the courage to... Uh, begin conversations with classmates and friends uh, about the gospel. Uh, and I think it means giving up our hearts. I think it means falling on our knees before the Lord and saying, how would, you, how would you work on this campus? God, would you help the lonely students here? If you don't think they're here, just walk through the union or the commons one day and look around, open your eyes, they're everywhere. There's students that have no more of a life than going to class and then coming back and sitting in front of World of Warcraft for 10 hours. That's their life. That's what they're experiencing. That's everything about who they are. They're starving for something. And we can be the ones 
that, that bring them the living water. So it's giving up our heart in prayer for those people, and then it's getting up off our knees and, and going to reach out to those people. I think that's what it means to follow Jesus today. I think to follow Jesus today is a little bit like Rafiki in The Lion King. And, you know, in one of the next scenes, he's talking to Nala and whoever, and he says, the king has returned. <laughs> Everybody knows that scene. And so I think that's a little bit about what it means to be a part of this kingdom and to follow Jesus today. It's to say the king is on the throne. And then on the last scene, you know, he holds up the, uh, the next heir to the throne and to say the king is here but the king is different than everything you've ever experienced all you've experienced was people that had dreams for your life people that just demanded things from you or even church leaders that demanded things from you maybe you've had staff or people from real life that demanded things for you you have to live up to a certain standard they said you have to do the ten commandments and do all of these things and to say the king has arrived fully to be the people that follow Jesus today is to say yes the the king has arrived but you don't have to do anything anymore because he's the one that took the cross for you he's the one that took all of your punishment that you could be a part of this life-giving forgiveness new sort of people Jesus is the one that we follow so I think that's what it means to follow Jesus today. And that's what it's going to mean the rest of Mark when we talk about following the servant king. So, join me in following the king. Thank you, God, for tonight. Thank you for uh, Mark. Thank you for bearing the the weight of the world and uh, beginning to set things right and allowing us to be the people that um, preach you as the king but the suffering servant king uh, that's radically different than every other king. Amen.